0: Yeah, diversification. Uh, Works great for investments, equalized anyway, not so much in families. I've got a friend who's got a a mother who's Irish and a father who's Iranian, which uh, meant he spent most of his holidays in customs. But that's just, you know, part of the course. Um, You've all heard of Sherlock Holmes. Uh, So, in in introducing our next speaker, Sherlock Holmes, I'm not sure how many of you know this, but his character was based on a medical doctor. Do you know that? Arthur Conan Doyle, the author of the Sherlock Holmes Uh, Books was a doctor himself, studied in Edinburgh University, and he tells of the day that his character was born. He says, I was in a ward round with a Professor Joseph Bell uh, and a whole bunch of medical students, and a woman walks in, unknown to the professor, and just says, good morning. That's it. And he looks at her and he says, how was your ferry crossing from Burnt Island? She says, it was fine, thank you. And he says, and where's your other child? She says, I left my other child with my sister in Leith. And he says, did you take a shortcut to the infirmary through the botanical gardens? She says, I did. And he said, and how's work at the linoleum factory? She said, it's fine, thank you. And then this professor turned to his students, and he said, you see, when she said good morning, I recognized her Fife accent, and the closest crossing from Fife to Edinburgh is via Burnt Island. And then I noticed the pram that she was pushing was too small for the child that she's with, so there must have been another child. Then if you look at the soles of her feet, they have that thick red clay on them that you don't find within 100 miles of Edinburgh except in the botanical gardens. And if you look really closely, she's got a dermatitis on her fingers, which is typical of linoleum factory workers. And Conan Doyle says, Sherlock Holmes was born. Detail. So that, why I tell you that story is, this guy has got a Sherlock Holmes gene in him. Very recently, you might have heard of the past and present ad that the Apartheid Museum put out. Uh, it won a gold at the Lurie Awards. One person in the country picked up that the quotes used to compare Favut and Trump weren't accurate. That, that it was kind of fake news. And he let, let 702 know, uh, 702 got Hunter Scarus on board, and it turned out that seven of the 27 quotes used in the actual ad weren't true quotes. The ad got, you know, got taken off air, the lorry has been unfortunately given back but there's a champion for truth and what's right. So Graham, yeah, I was quite impressed with that. Doesn't miss a trick. I know I've uh, been a former partner of his for many years. He's an internationally renowned futurist, works in around 20 countries every year. He's just flown in from Sweden this morning. Five degrees, five best-selling books, lectures at five universities, including London Business School and Duke. So really worth listening to. I mean, his, his kind of Key driver is the future force of of, or the future of work and forces that will change how we live and work uh, in the next ten years or so. So, uh, looking forward to what he has to share with us, Graham. As always, great to introduce you.
1: Thanks, Mike. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Uh, I don't know if you'll be happy or not to know that the quota of academic content has now been completed. Um, so, uh, I, I think I just about stayed with you on that, but uh, that, that was great, uh, and, and a very bold programming move to put you straight after lunch, I was impressed, <laughs> I was impressed with that. Uh, so, uh, I come after that, uh, I don't know what level of programming move that is, uh, but we shift our, our focus now. Um, Not on the technical side of the work that most of you do uh, in this room, but more on the trends side, not the technical trends that we've uh, been looking at for the last 45 minutes, but the the forces shaping the future of work in particular. That's my passion, in understanding where technology and people and the world of work intersect each other and, and what's going on in that space. So it's a little bit of accounting and economics, which was my first degree. Uh, It's a little bit of sociology, which was my fourth degree. And it's a little bit of business science, uh, which is where I got back to with my doctorate in an MBA. Mixing all of those together with some experience in the tech sector gives us, hopefully this afternoon, some insights that will be valuable to you. As I said, not on the technical investment side, but more on the megatrends that flow around those. If you haven't checked your diary recently, you might not have noticed that the 2020s are creeping up on us. It's 16 months now until the 2020s. Uh, and I don't know about you, but the 2020s were always the proper future for me. I realize looking out over this audience, some of you were born in the 21st century. So, uh, no, maybe not quite. Not quite, but close-ish. Um, but the, the, the 21st century is one thing. The 2020s, I think, for most people, when we wake up on the 1st of January 2020, it is going to feel significant. That we've, we've, we've entered a new decade in this remarkable tech digital century that we live in. And Bill Gates, uh, a few years ago, looking ahead at the 2020s, I think accurately and correctly stated that we are going to see more change in the 2020s, I believe, than in any other decade uh, in recorded history is a long time. Uh, But I I think I can be bold enough to say that. If we take all the things that we know are setting themselves up now, uh, and and in, in my mind the top three or four here that are going to be exponential technologies that are going to drive exponential change of quantum computing that's some people thought that was a 2040s conversation it is now clear it's a 2020 2021 conversation to take the computing speed power that we have today and leap it forward by 20 30 40 times in the next few years is going to make huge significant differences. Secondly, networking effects. We know this. Each node you add to a network doesn't just add another node, it adds a whole, well quantum might be the word again, but it it adds exponential power to that network. And we're not only adding more human beings to the Internet every day, we're adding more devices, machines, sensors. We're not merely connecting the world we are interconnecting the world and when we instrument the world and interconnect the world we then create uh, a new environment for intelligence to be birthed and so the singularity the the point at which machines and devices become as intelligent as human beings is constantly being brought forward the guy who's kind of the custodian of that date is Ray Kurzweil who's the chief futurist at Google and he just every quarter he kind of brings the date forward for when he believes computing uh, at a thousand dollar handheld computer that's the key a thousand dollar handheld computer can do more than the human brain he reckons is now in the mid 2030s uh, away. Uh, the big machines can already rival uh, human intelligence in you know, a loosely and, and uh, Roughly defined version of intelligence, of course. So for me, those are some of the drivers of what's about to take place. And then on top of that, you've got a whole lot of popular and consumer electronics technologies going to shape the world. Is this microphone coming and going? Do you want to just give me the handheld there, Mark? Now, when we look at this from a business perspective, Fortune magazine did a piece of research last year looking at why companies struggle with change. And it's not difficult to understand that if the world is changing at this quantum exponential speed, it's really difficult for systems, processes, organizational designs, leadership models, and people to keep up. But the top five reasons why companies struggle with change are these. The first is that senior management just doesn't make it a priority. Uh, they're more focused on uh, taking last year's budgets, adding 10% to the, the top line, reducing the cost by 9%, and you know everybody gets their bonus. Um, I, I know that's a bit of a cynical view of, of management and, and corporate strategy, but it's not too cynical. Um, the, the second is the misalignment of where we get innovation. If we know the world is changing and we need to change, why aren't we changing? Why aren't we getting innovation on demand? And the reason is that your companies all have innovation in their KPIs. You've all got innovation in your strategic objectives. Some of you have even added innovation to your core values. It's no longer trust, integrity, respect and customer service. All those things that nobody else does, just you. Um, (laughs) All those things your company does that makes it distinctive, not just what it means to be a human being. Um, And now you've added innovation to it, except nobody's allowed to fail. Uh, Someone has to explain this to me. How do you get innovation, which can only emerge out of experimentation? Innovation at the level we need it cannot happen by a committee that makes no mistakes. There must be experimentation. So if everybody in your business is wrapped over the knuckles or worse, is punished for failure, you will not get innovation. And so many companies don't. Uh, there's shareholder pressure, especially if you report quarterly. The, the American curse of the, the, the American public company, that quarterly reporting is the stupidest thing capitalism ever did. Uh, Then there's resource uh, constraints. You just don't put enough money into the change processes. We know we need to change, but you've got to do it in your own time on a Saturday morning, and here's 10 bucks. Um, And finally, and probably most importantly, and you see the rankings uh, there given by senior executives in business, it's this insufficient understanding of the nature of the changes that are going on around us. So that's the bit I want to focus on this afternoon and understand what is being disrupted. Is there a model, is there a framework that can help us make sense of disruption and give us an idea of where to look and focus our attention? And I think it's fairly simple. I think there are three key areas that we need to pay attention to. The first is, of course, external forces. These are the big mega trends. Uh, This is the stuff that's very cool to talk about. And if they had given me until Monday, that's what I would have spoken about. Uh, But if I've got to condense the about 47 hours I would like to speak on it down to 45 minutes, uh, I'm not gonna talk about that. Uh, The second is business model enablers and, and, and disruptors. That's what I'm gonna focus on this afternoon. And then finally, we are being disrupted. Who we are as people and how we need to engage with each other in the world around us is, is changing, and I'll I'll end with that a little bit later. So just to show you the stuff I'm not going to talk about, we could spend time talking about a hundred or more different technologies, mega trends, and forces that are shaping the world around us. Thinking of my audience and knowing who was in the room, knowing that we're focused on investments today, I picked out six for you, which I think would be significant but i'm not going to say more than just label them the first is not a technology although it is driven by medical technologies in particular and that is that most of us in this room are going to live much longer than we thought we would we're certainly going to live longer than our parents would have imagined people could live and we are going to live longer than we thought we would. Now there are a few people in the room with gray hairs and it is possible that that statement is already true of you. You have already lived longer than you expected. You you remember back to varsity and you wake up every morning today knowing it's a gift. Um, (laughs) How many of you though were born in the 1990s? I think that's going to be about half my crowd today. You guys are more than 50% likely, 50% chance of living in three centuries. Okay? It's not going to take much. You've just got to tick over past that 100th birthday by a few years or two, and you'll be living in not four three centuries. Um, you know, it's not, I'm not talking about your 300th birthday. I'm just talking about your 108th birthday which is not inconceivable. According to the South African census, uh, last taken in 2010, so we, we're due for the up, update quite soon, but even using out-of-date statistics, the number of people who are older than 100 in South Africa in 2010 was listed as 15,683. Yeah, You guys know that that's a wow number. Okay? That's a big number, probably way more than you expected. Uh, my own grandmother, who was born in East London on, in February of 1914, a few months before the start of World War I, is still alive. Okay? And she had four brothers. She was the youngest of five. Um, and all four of her brothers died between the ages of 105 and 110. Um, so that's the, the family genetics I've got. Um, LAUGHTER Which is pretty cool, but that does change your thinking, right? And and, and any actuarial model that's working on averages of global life expectancies and so on, uh, your only hope that your model is correct is that a lot of people continue flossing. (laughs) Anyway, Michael can explain that. I'm not sure I understand. Anyway, The 100-year life, I think, is key. Cheap energy is going to change every single economic model you've got. And I think cheap energy is about to arrive in the form of solar. The price of solar is plummeting, if you hadn't noticed. Um, And the efficiency of solar cells increasing. But then we also have nuclear fusion, sometimes called cold fusion. Those are two slightly separate things. But, I mean, MIT announced just yesterday, literally yesterday, that they believe cold fusion, their first cold fusion success experiments are, are going to be next year. They, they, they know exactly why their cold fusion machine is not working, and they think they fixed it and it's going to take them a few months to switch it back on again, and then they think it's going to work. There's a place called ITER. Uh, @iter.org if you're interested in this stuff iter.org the international thermonuclear experimental reactor it's being built outside of marseille in southern france it turns seawater into thermonuclear energy using the processes of of nuclear fusion that are from the center of the sun let me just repeat that it is a star that turns seawater into thermonuclear energy. In other words, it gives you free energy. One cubic kilometer of seawater has more energy resources in that machine than all of the world's oil resources combined. Now, yes, there are sunk costs. It's uh, quite an expensive thing to build. But we know what happens with sunk costs if you've ever studied any economic model like the telephones, the railways, or the internet. Lots of people put lots of money into it and it burns up and they go bankrupt. But that doesn't blow up the infrastructure. It leaves the infrastructure sitting there for the next person to buy for one dollar. Honestly, this is not basic economics, but it's also not master's level economics. Virtual reality is going to change the way that people interact with the world around them, not just for computer games, but with numbers, in fact with numbers in particular. Using virtual reality to engage with the type of stuff you guys do every way unlocks parts of people's brains that we haven't unlocked ever before in education and communication. And there are many people working on mathematical and business models to put in virtual reality that help people understand numbers. So that you can translate what's in your head as actuaries into many more other heads. And you don't have to do what the typical CFO of a company does, which is to throw up an Excel spreadsheet onto the screen and say to everybody at the annual staff meeting, I know you can't see this, but, and then for the next 20 minutes point to it and talk about it. So we can do better than that, and maybe virtual reality is a secret there. Blockchain. Obviously, that's the basis on which cryptocurrencies are built, but crypto is literally less than 1% of what blockchain is going to do for the world. And it deals with every single transaction and every single interaction, therefore every single investment on the planet in blockchain by the end of the 2020s. The Internet of Things is that instrumentation and interconnection of devices that I was talking about earlier. And then, of course, all of that adds up to artificial intelligence, machine learning, data, mining, and so on. So, uh, as I say, I, and I've now actually probably spent more time even than I wanted to on this slide, because the external forces that we are facing are going to change the world. Some of them are going to change it in huge ways, like that it's a device in France, giving us free energy from seawater. Others, and I think more importantly, are going to change it in tiny little ways. Most of you might have seen this video, it's still worth watching again. Uh, We were actually just talking about it during the lunch break. This is Google Assistant, a little piece of software that will be in every Android phone by the end of the year that now uses human voice activation, where you speak to the phone and the phone speaks to you and then speaks to other people on your behalf in a natural human voice. This is the CEO of uh, Google, and he's demonstrating this. This was about two months ago, um, and he's demonstrating what the Google Assistant can do on your behalf in making phone calls.
2: It turns out a big part of getting things done is making a phone call. We think AI can help with this problem. Let's say you want to ask Google to make you a haircut appointment on Tuesday between 10 and noon. What happens
1: is the Google Assistant makes the call seamlessly in the background for you.
0: So what you're going to hear is the Google Assistant actually calling a real salon to schedule the appointment for you. Let's listen.
1: Oh, how's out you? Hi, I'm calling to book a woman's haircut for a client. Um, I'm looking for something on May 3rd. Sure, give me one second. Mm Mm-hmm. Sure, what time are you looking for around? At 12 p.m. We do not have a 12 p.m. available. The closest we have to that is a 1.15. Do you have anything between 10 a.m. and uh, 12 p.m.? Depending on what service she would like, what service is she looking for? Just a woman's haircut for now. Okay, we have a 10 o'clock. 10 a.m. is fine. Okay, what's her first name? The first name is Lisa. Okay, perfect. So I will see Lisa at 10 o'clock on May 3rd. Okay, great. Thanks. Great. Have a great day. Bye. Now, we can go further than that. Just I'm just swapping my cables around here to show you the next little thing here. And that is to use something called the Amazon Echo, okay, or the Amazon Alexa. So this little device here, that, that thing uh, there on the screen. This is uh, produced by Amazon, okay? And I, th- I think it is the best artificial intelligence consumer device on the planet at the moment. Um, uh, everything I'm about to do now is real, live. Uh, I haven't pre-programmed this, so whatever I say and it says in response, is running through the hotel Wi-Fi, and we'll see what happens. So you can ask any question you like. So, for example, Alexa, multiply 328,557 by 819.
2: 328,557 multiplied by 819 equals 269,088,183.
1: So, a few guys in the middle there going, yep, that's right. Room full of actuaries. Um, Alexa, what's the value of pi?
2: The approximate value of pi is 3.141592653589793238462. Phew. I ran out of breath.
1: Okay. Also, a slightly cheesy sense of humor. I've never tried this one before, but let's just give this a go. We are in an investment uh, conference. Alexa, what is the price of a Bitcoin now in dollars?
2: One Bitcoin is worth $6,850, down 3.5% over the last 24 hours. Yeah.
1: Now, that's not a bad answer to that question, right? Okay, The whole down 3.5% in that that's more information than I asked for, but it's the right information that I was requesting. And that's what's going on here. It's not just a voice-activated device that can go to Google and answer the questions you're asking. It's actually learning what type of information people want when they ask certain types of questions. Now, the idea, I won't go further than that, just, just by the way, uh, Alexa also has access to every single song ever, ever written. Um, Sorry,
2: sorry. I'm not sure about that.
1: Sorry. Well, let's prove it then. Let's prove it. Favorite, Favorite musician, band, whatever, Michael. Okay, Alexa, play music by Bon Jovi.
2: Shuffling songs by Bon Jovi on Amazon Music.
1: Easing in. Easing in. This is mine. Okay. So here we go. That's not a bad choice for a Bon of classic. Now, even though the music's playing and I'm busy talking, nothing's happening, there's a lot of noise going on in the background. But as soon as I talk to her, she's going to listen. So, Alexa, what song is this?
2: This is I'll Be There For You from New Jersey by Bon Jovi.
1: i wish my teenage daughters would listen to me that much Um, now uh, what amazon plans for alexa is the following imagine this alexa i need to have a meeting with uh, hildegard david and michael before monday please can you schedule it alexa that meeting needs to be in durban please book my travel Alexa, I need the following things in the office. Dum, 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 dum. Please order them for me. Have them delivered by tomorrow. That's where Amazon is going with it, and that's why Amazon are interested in it. It'll also include house and home and office automation. And in our house, so I have three teenage daughters, and each one of them has got an Alexa in their bedroom. Uh, we've got two in other parts of the house It controls all of our entertainment system. I don't even need a remote control to change the TV. It's uh, Alexa, I'd like to watch Super Sport 2, please. Boom, and the TV changes. Alexa, turn off the lights. Boom, Alexa, close the curtains. Alexa, do this, Alexa, do that. So when we think of artificial intelligence and, and we think of automation and the internet of things and blockchain, it's easy to get caught up in thinking these are big things. You know, the IBMs and the Googles of the world with their massive supercomputers. And it's not coming for us anytime soon, except it is. So this is, and these technologies are going to change our lives. Take one minute turn to the person next to you. What would you add to my list? You can argue with my list if you want to. I, I, I wouldn't because I'm right. Um, but you might want to add to it. If you were in my position and you had to just show six things to a group of really smart and skeptical people, what would you have shown? One minute, person next to you, quick conversation. Okay, literally one minute. So five, four, three, two. And one. So that's the easy part of my job. Because I think that stuff is at one level fairly obvious. From 3D printing to driverless cars to medical robotics and things like that. I I think there's quite a lot to add to that list. The other side, though, is where I want to just challenge you a little bit this afternoon. It's part of your job, as most of you, in one way or the other, are the brains in the businesses that you are in. We need to recognize that innovation in businesses going forward is not merely about finding a new product, finding a new service, or putting a new wrapper around an old product and finding a new channel to market. So this is true in your investment products as well. It's not simply about finding a new product, a new service, or a new channel to market. It is often about literally blowing up your business model itself. And and your job as part of the brains in the business is not just to keep putting new investment products into an old, broken business model, but it's actually to think about the business model itself. Now, I'm not here to tell you what the new investment business model is or the new model is for an insurer or an investor uh, or whatever, but I can tell you what the forces are that are going to shape it. And so very, very quickly, again, not with, with not too much explanation, but just one or two examples, this is where I think we should be focusing a lot of our attention at the moment. Six forces that are going to change business models, especially in this industry. The first is, of course, taking that artificial intelligence, those, com- those quantum computers, that raw computing power, um, and the data that is accessible to it, and actually doing something with it. You guys know the value of data, but even you, I don't think, have got anywhere close to, to having all the data you could have and should have, to, to being bold enough to ask for more data so that you can, you can do more with it, to analyze that data in much more real-time settings, uh, you know, of course the academic studies are fantastic in that, but, but doing that kind of stuff in real time, having the com- cloud, the computer clout to be able to do it, uh, is, is going to be huge. And here's the reason why, and this is the problem, is that many companies are not leveraging the power of data and raw computing power. They are simply taking what they used to do and they are digitizing it, putting it online. Uh, Let me give you two quick examples. There are four levels of digitization. The first is where you simply take something that was in paper form and you put it into the computer. It's like taking the map, the old map book. Again, not enough of you in the room are old enough to remember the old A to Z under the seat uh, to get from one client to the other. Uh, Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but it's literally just when you can see a map and then you've got to find your own way. The second level of digitization, is when you get some kind of intelligence that actually gives you a point by point. This is where I'm going next. Uh, So I can't stay this afternoon because I've got a meeting in Rosebank and half an hour ago, I did a quick check of how to get to Fluxman's attorneys in Rosebank and that was the recommendation. So that's the second level of of digitization. You can put a touch of intelligence in the system. The third level, of course, is when we interconnect that with everybody else. Uh, How many of you use Waze? thank you. In those of you who didn't put your hands up, just use ways. <laughs> because if everybody uses ways, we will all get home an hour earlier. Because then everybody is sharing their data with everybody else, and so we know the value uh, of the system. So there's that interconnection, that network effect that happens. But of course, the fourth level of digitization is when your computer tells you, don't bother to even go. Let's do this by virtual reality. You don't have to have this meeting. The problem is, in other words, that's the actual artificial intelligence in the system. The other stuff is just digitization of stuff we could have done for ourselves, rather than actually making decisions we wouldn't be able to make ourselves. Let me, some of you are still looking a bit lost. Let me give you a different example. Real life situation, my oldest daughter turns 18 last year. She comes to me and says, Dad, I really want to get a car. I know you won't buy me one, but will you help me get a loan? deal. So I go to the bank. Uh, Amy can't get a loan because she doesn't have money. I can get a loan because I do. Um, So I go to the bank and I say, well, how do I get a loan? They say, well, you know, we we look at our records. I've been banking with them for 22 years. Uh, You don't really take many loans from us, but we've made the system really, really nice. It's easy. Log into your banking system. Click on the apply for new loan. Follow the steps. Boom, bora bing. It's easy sounded great so Saturday afternoon I sit down I log into my system I click the apply for new loan a form pops up and the first question on the form is what is your name (laughs) not genuine this genuinely happened date of birth residential address postal address gender yeah it's 2018 that can change I suppose fair enough (laughs) worth asking. Um, Click on the next button, financial information. Genuine. First question, which bank do you bank with? (laughs) At least in the drop-down list, their name was first. Not because they were ABSA. It wasn't them. But it could have been any other banks. In other words, what the hell? At least pre-populate this form. Anyway, 20 minutes later, I finished filling out the form, a little bit grumpy, and I hit the submit button. Checks me, I've got everything right, and then a little pop-up. Thank you for applying for the loan. You will get an answer from our team within three working days. I'm a self-employed entrepreneur, and this was a Saturday afternoon. Please explain the concept of a working day. But true to their word, Wednesday afternoon, I get an answer from them. Three working days later, because why answer early when you can answer on time? Um, (laughs) And they approved the loan. Surprise, surprise. What were they doing for those three days? What possible activity did my bank of 22 years need to go through in order to approve that loan? That should have been a three-second operation. In fact, I'll tell you something. I should have had a pre-approval with a notice a few months before Amy's birthday. Your oldest daughter, Amy, is about to turn 18. We have a little surprise for you. She's going to ask you for a car. (laughs) When she does, click on this button. It will print out a certificate that you can take to any dealership in Joburg. In fact, if you click this button, we'll get the dealers to come to you. But nobody does that because we're just taking our old systems and we're digitizing them. That is not good enough. And that's why, by the way, the robo-advisors are eating your lunch. Not because they are doing what you could have done just cheaper and faster. They are doing things you don't do and haven't done and can't do in the investment world, but they started from scratch. They didn't just digitize the old systems. Make sense? So the second thing that's going to change our industry is the connectedness of everything. The fact that supermarkets can sell financial products, the the fact that banks can sell telecoms products, the fact that telephone companies can sell banking products. We are now in a connected and a shared economy. We are also in an economy where people don't feel they need to own their assets. Uh, you do realize that doing what I do for a living, I do have to. It's a legal obligation of my profession. Mention Uber at least once in my profession. So that's all this slide is doing there. Um, <laughs> but let me, let me put this in different terms for investment professionals. FinTech t- fin companies don't want your customers. They only want your good customers. And they know how to tell the difference. The big investment houses, the the old legacy investment firms represented in this room, you do not know how to tell the difference between your good and bad customers. So you're just trying to keep everybody. And FinTech is going to work out how to get the best of them and leave you with the rubbish. And that's because they don't see people in one sphere. They see the whole connection between everybody. They see the whole picture and they want the whole picture. They also are not limited by their, their very old school thinking about IP and my space. And they also don't have completely up their own asses IT departments. Honestly. Now, I am going to mention this. When I reply to anybody from Nedbank who has sent me a message And I get a bounce back because Nedbank's own logo is blocked by their server. (laughs) This is a true thing. This is a true thing. Then you just give up as a customer. I am not going to delete your logo from your email every time I hit reply. Fintech companies do not have that problem with their IT departments because they live in a world where that's not what gets protected. Those models are all open source. Those IT platforms are all open. In fact, that's the next point to make that we live in a world, and we live increasingly in a world, where we need to build IT systems that are platforms. API platforms, and API is an uh, application programming interface. The best example is your fingerprint uh, recognition. When you open your phone with your fingerprint and you go into your banking app or or your airline app and you use your fingerprint to verify your identity, they don't have your fingerprint. Only Apple or Samsung or Google or whoever your phone is, only they have your fingerprint. And what happens is they send a message to Apple, in my case, and they say, hey, this guy says he's Graham and he'd like access to his banking. Is he Graham or not? And the only thing Apple says is yes or no. They don't explain how they, the algorithm that manages it. They don't explain the cleverness of their system. They just give you an answer. But this is now becoming the business model of the future. The fastest growing and biggest companies in the world, Amazon, Alibaba, Google, Alphabet, are all built on platforms. Anybody can sell anything on the platform. There are no restrictions. We don't close and lock ourselves in and have NDAs just to get in the front door. Everything is open. It's a platform world. And we've got to be thinking, not what data have we gotten, how do we protect it. We've got to be thinking, what data have we gotten, who else might be interested in using it? And how can we give them access to it? And don't hide behind data protection laws. The GDPR and everything doesn't stop you from using data, it simply says you have to get permission first. That's all it says. Don't let IT tell you, oh, we can't do it because of Poppy and GDPR. Nonsense. You just have to ask. And if you give me a compelling reason, I promise you I will give you a pint of blood every week as long as you turn it into proper Amazon shopping. You can know anything you like about me as long as you use it for my benefit. The fourth thing that's going to change our world in the next few years is, and this is the least surprising thing I'm going to say today, but it is still the smartphone. And you might think, well... Why on earth is that on Graham's list? The reason it's on this list is because most of your companies still haven't worked this out yet. See, I was in Sweden, not quite this time yesterday, but close. In order to get from Sweden to South Africa uh, via a hub in Europe, I needed to have, obviously, an airplane ticket. I bought that airplane ticket on my phone. It took me three clicks once I went into the Air France app, Click for the destination, click for the routing, happy with the price, click to pay. I then had to get a boarding pass, which was two clicks, actually, in the Air France app. Click, click. Then when I got to the airport, I had to prove my identity, which is, uh, because I am, as well as a South African citizen, also a European citizen, I have a digital citizenship. I'm an e-citizen of Estonia, as it happens. And I have an e-visa, in here, and that was two clicks to open so that I could get through passport control. Not quite the same at OR Tambo, but anyway. I can buy anything on the Amazon app. I can play any music just talking to my machine, don't even need a click. So in your companies, the big companies represented in the room, you guys want to take at Momentum. You want to take a little bit of a holiday. So uh, to book your leave, right, you just go into the Momentum staff app and it's one click, two click, three click, and your leave is booked, right? Uh, sure, exactly. I mean, momentum's very far ahead. Uh, old, mutual, <laughs> old Mutual, not so much. Um, no, that's not true. Your customers, they, they want to make a connection. They want to get a portfolio update. They want to do a trade. Is it three clicks? Is it as easy as it was for me to fly through international airspace yesterday as it is to do something very simple, like just be a staff member or a customer of your company? We know that everybody has these devices in their hands all the time. In fact, most of you have them right there on the desk in front of you. Some of you, I have what been watching, in your hands while I've been talking. There are very few of us who have a mobile device less than an arm's length away from us 24-7. For many of you, this is what woke you up this morning. Beep, 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 beep. First thing you saw this morning. When you had it in your hand, some of you wouldn't let it go. Not even to go to the toilet. (laughs) Which is why, by the way, you should not use other people's phones. (laughs) If you had left it at home, would you have gone back for it? You weren't going to spend today without your phone, right? That's why one or two of you were late this morning. We were watching. And tonight, even if there is a partner in the bed next to you, it's going to be good night on that side, and then... Good night on that side. Why has your company not got every single thing on the smartphone yet? Everything. We shouldn't have computers. There shouldn't be a desktop strategy. That's like having a cassette tape strategy. What are you thinking? Right. Fifth thing is gamification. Gamification is our uh, ability to use the principles and psychology of computer games to influence computer behavior. Really good example in South Africa, uh, Discovery were the first, but other companies, Momentum included, uh, are doing this as well. You have to earn points. We want to be better. Then, then you get a, a message saying, you are in the top 30% of drivers this month. Uh, you know, you're know you in the top 1% of uh, You know people who've earned so many points in health. And if you don't get enough points, it doesn't work. Well, how about doing this in your careers, for example? Uh, How often do they do salary increases at Momentum? Once a year. Um, How many of you are gamers? Yeah, don't be shy. How often do you level up in your favorite game? Once a week. Yeah, okay. Um, Good answer, by the way, because the bosses are listening. It's better than, like, lunchtime every day. Um, Now, you're leveling up once a week in your game and once a year in your life. There's a bit of a disconnect there. So why don't we take that salary increase we were going to give you at the end of the year. You guys can do the maths to calculate exactly what that looks like every month. uh, But we give it to you once a month. Same cost to company over a 12-year period, but now you're leveling up every month. Also forces us to have a five or ten minute conversation with you about what you've done well what you haven't done boom here's the incremental 0.6% increase this month congrats you're at level 72 now it's better than being the assistant to the deputy vice president of the deputy president of the <laughs> department okay gamification the last piece of the puzzle is social proof not social media Not saying everybody has to have a Facebook page or a Twitter account or whatever, but we all need to recognize where people are going to make their decisions these days. How many of you use TripAdvisor or have used it? Okay, TripAdvisor. Why do we use TripAdvisor? Why don't we go to the hotel's website? What's TripAdvisor doing that the hotel's website is not doing? Independent, right? Third party. But some of those independent third parties are idiots. Okay, it's I D G I T, idiots. I mean, honestly, have a look at some of the worst reviews of the world's best places. Okay? <laughs> so, it has to be an Aussie this one. These people are idiots. What do you do with idiots like that in the system? You ignore them. It's easy to see. So we don't go to the hotel's website because they're completely biased. And we don't worry about the fact that there are a few idiots in the system because they're obvious to spot. So let me ask you, your companies, where am I going to go to find out whether I should invest with you? Your own website? Not interested. It's completely biased. Waste of my time. So where do I go? For most of you, the only other place we can go is Hello Peter. And that doesn't look good. Do you know where I do go? Is I go to Facebook. I need recommendations. I'd like to go to a Mexican restaurant tonight. Has anybody got any suggestions? Where did I ask that question? I asked it in Facebook. My daughter Amy has to buy a car. I wonder what car is good as a first-entry car for an 18-year-old girl in Johannesburg. Who do I ask that question of? I ask it of Facebook. And you know what? I get an answer, an amazing answer, a brilliant answer. But you're a car dealer, and you don't have Facebook. So you didn't even know I was asking the question. So you didn't even get to answer it. So which share should I invest in? What should my investment strategy be? Who's answering that question? if you're not giving me social proof. I think those are the six things that are going to fundamentally change this industry and fundamentally drive disruption into the heart of the investment industry around the world. There are many other things we could talk about, and different industries have different disruptors, but I think those are what apply to you. Let me, and I I know I'm hitting up against my time, Michael, just one minute very quickly to just finish the story. Not going to spend much time here. But in this artificial intelligence world of automation and robotics and algorithms, um, that picture is completely incorrect. We know this. That's not how the robots are going to look. They're going to be software in our phones. The big question is for us as people, what do we contribute? When the machines can do most of what it is we do now? What are the skills that we need? This was a question that animated our team. We did a lot of research and we came up with eight answers to that question. These are things, eight things that we believe that people will need to be doing in the 2020s that machines can't. The kind of future analysis that I've just done It's not something computers are capable of doing. Computers can do complicated things, but they are not able to do complex things. Quick example, the land issue in South Africa. It's not just complicated, it's complex. And you can't throw it in an algorithm and get some actuarial model that's going to say who gets the land and how much you pay for it. There's way too much human emotion, which is why personal and diversity intelligence is part of what we contribute to the future of work. Creativity and intuition is obvious. The curiosity and storytelling is our ability to do what speakers have been doing the whole day today, which is to take information, find information, first of all, the curiosity piece of research, and then package it in a story that is compelling and informing and motivating. Entrepreneurship and Tech Savvy close out the eight. If you're interested in this and the research that we did, have a look at the website, The Future of Work Academy. The future of work uh, Our research is there, it's all available, it's all for free. Uh, those eight areas, uh, we've given suggestions for how you would develop them as a person and contribute them. And whether you are the receptionist or the chief actuary, whether you are the chief investment officer or the security guard, those eight areas are going to be valuable to you in different ways in the future. We are facing a remarkable decade. We're going to see deep disruption in the way that the world works and the way that the world of work works. Each of these three areas is worth focusing attention on. And I hope that I've motivated you at least to go and have a little look. If you'd like more information and like to stay connected with me, uh, that's how to do it. Uh, and notice this link across the bottom here. Uh, all lowercase letters, no www, exactly as you see it there. You'll see it's just for you guys, just for today. That'll give you a copy of all of my slides and a few free resources that we think you might find very useful. Uh, a few things to read uh, and a video or two to watch. Uh, please stay connected. i used up all my time and a little bit more so unfortunately no time for questions but that's how to ask me questions and I'll be happy to respond online thank you for your time
0: Thank you so much, Graham. Nothing like having your mind stretched like that at this time of the day, too, which is amazing. Uh, and Graham, congratulations to you, too. Normally it's 90 minutes. I had a giggle to myself when Hilda God said, we've given him 45, Okay. <laughs> no chance, but well done. I mean, Five minutes over is not bad at all. So that's the future. That's what can, we can expect. So I often say, if you want to know what the real future looks like, just open that mini bar in your hotel room, and you can tell what a Coke will cost in the year 2030. Uh,